different. All right, wait. We should actually start. Yeah, let's just get into it. Just get into it. Just All right. It. Um, so we're here today, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about the episode we've all been waiting to do. Um, we are talking about the episode from February 25th, 1994, Arsenio Hall, Luis Farrakhan. Uh, is that how you say his name? Uh, Luis Farrakhan. Yeah. Louis Farrakhan, Louis Louis Farrakhan, Farrakhan, Louis Farrakhan interview Farrakhan. that a lot of people debated ended the show. And so, you know, we are actually about at the end of this podcast because the Arsenio Hall show recap is almost done. Um, I'm your host. I'm Justin. With me, as always, is Aaron. Aaron. Say hello. Hello. Yeah. Aaron, it was your passion for the Arsenio Hall show that really got this podcast going and these thousands of followers what do you want to say to the audience now that we're at the end i'm just happy they stuck along for the ride it's been a big it's been long in the works we've had a lot of great interviews uh eddie murphy that was a good one when he had him on his show uh prince yeah that, the, was, that the, was a big one um bill clinton oh don't forget was bill clinton classic. playing the sax yeah. probably one of the biggest things that's ever happened and just yeah. all over the excitement that would come from the audience with the woo 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 woo, woo, woo. Yeah. yeah you can't see my arm yes. audience but it's, it's it's twirling both of our arms are twirling just as they always are when we do this show but it's a good thing right now a lot of people I just i just got a cease and desist letter from another podcast that's actually been in the works <laughs> a little longer than ours and they've been covering the arsenio hall show um and are also you talking the about the arsenio hall show it. show yes the original show Oh, that's what their podcast is called, Arsenio's Show. Yeah. Arsenio the Arsenio Hall, Hall show, show. show Show. Yes. Yeah. Your show of shows. God damn. They have been threatening legal action this entire time. Yeah, but we made and it through. I'm glad that we've made it. Yeah. And now I have to delete all this. So let's get this recorded and up <laughs> before the lawsuits come. So this a lot is of not a bad idea, though. Episode... We, could move on. we could move on to other famed talk shows like the Chevy Chase show that was on for like four glorious weeks or something. Uh, we could. other ones. I once, um, I was up late at night once back in, let's say, 99. And I saw the, and I, God damn, I can't remember his name. He was the red-haired kid from the Partridge family. Do you know who I'm talking about? The little kid? And he grew up, Just obviously. vaguely. His name is Danny something. Yeah. It's got like an Italian, Danny Bonaducci or something like that. But he oh. had... He made a pilot episode for his show, and they aired it at like three in the morning on Fox, maybe, or whatever local affiliate I was watching at the time of Fox. And it was awful. It was just him, and he came out and he was doing his stand up. And then he had the only guest they had was like this ninja master. So this guy just came on and taught him some ninja moves. And I just, it just made me think that like so many people have tried to get the talk show thing going, and so many fail. And Arsenio was one that really made it work for a little while, at least. Yeah. That's I'm going to miss talking about him. But I like the idea of moving on to a different, shorter run celebrity show. Audience, if you have any ideas for what we should cover next, uh, go on Twitter, uh, the Arsenio Hall Show show, and let us know what you think. Anyway, no, let's get into the, the other show. Of this episode. The Arsenio Hall show. Oh, <laughs> shit. God damn it. Uh, 
this whole anyway, thing uh, is a, this is a mess. People are going to tune in, get in tune to, out immediately. What are they talking that's about? That's not true because it's no, that's it's really true. important that we talk about this. It's true. It's, it's very, very true. important um, <laughs> because they'll see the title when they click the podcast and they'll <laughs> get to so. where we're going with this. Oh yeah. Um, so a lot of people say that this ended the Arsenio Hall show, this the, interview. The, the Louis Farrakhan interview. Yes. Not familiar, um, but he is a polarizing figure because of his... Uh, Anti-Semitic yes. beliefs. He was he was one of those that liked to blame the Jews for everything. And yes. uh, people basically said that Arsenio went pretty weak on him. I see. And I'm only bringing this up because, well, for the purpose of the real podcast, we have this question that we've always kind of... That's one question came to us after watching these movies and we're, we are talking about coming to America. Uh, this is Aaron and Justin talk sequels. I'm Justin. I'm Aaron. There you go. And, um, <laughs> it's only five minutes. Watching podcast. Any father get watching coming to America. We really noticed that Arsenio Hall is amazing and that we love him. And why the hell has he not been a big movie star? Yeah, he's now been added to my list, which only had one other person on it, of people that we missed out on being movie stars. Uh, number one is Bruce Campbell in the 90s. And now added to that is Arsenio Hall, because we both thought that he was one of the best part of, of this of Coming to America and then the sequel, Coming to America. Yes. That has we the same are title. covering a sequel <laughs> with the same title as the original. <laughs> And that's a little weird. Yeah. Um, but he was good. And he's, he's but yeah, good in them. he's only really well known for his show, the Arsenio Hall show. I a think... lot of people said that. Sorry. Sorry. No, I was going to let you finish. Uh, a lot of people said that this interview with Louis Farrakhan ended the show. But Arsenio has never uh, agreed with that. And he basically stepped away to raise his family. Mm. And now his child is an adult and he's decided to get back into acting okay well and so i, I think find after, anything else on it after coming to america maybe he had a couple other short-lived roles and, and he's in that i'm not really sure <clears throat> but i think no he, like he did nothing but then the show wasn't that like maybe 89 was it late 80s when it started yeah the show started after coming to america like what year and you know? Uh, I think Coming to America was 88, yeah. and the Arsenio Hall show might have been 90s. was from, but I feel it like ended it in like 94, okay. 89 to 94. Yeah. So there you go. So we did. I think it's hard to pass up that sweet, sweet talk show money and having a steady job in the entertainment industry. Uh, you want to give it a shot. And I think a lot, I think getting a talk show is, for a lot of comedians, is just like getting a long-running sitcom, it's it's kind of like gold. If you can get that, that's pretty good. But oh, also, he yeah, get that. he was unique. Like nobody was like him. Nobody had a talk show like Arsenio Hall. I mean, he was a black guy. He was on Fox, and Fox was new. Fox had The Simpsons, and they were really starting out to kind of become a presence. Like they weren't. I think you had the big three with ABC, CBS, and NBC. And here's Fox being like, we're going to be the big four now. And they're all like, nah, you're just Fox. You're not really going to be taken seriously. So I think Arsenio Hall's show was a big part of making Fox serious as well. And it had an edge because it was a different kind of talk show. But I feel like it just petered out. Like the pressure of Letterman and Leno yeah. uh, was eating away at the ratings. Um, 
Also, you know like the was... those like CBS, NBC, ABC, they had a legacy of those talk shows, and I think it was just Fox didn't have any experience with having a legacy of a talk show, so that's why I felt like it felt like more of a flash in a pan. That went on for a couple of years, admittedly, but then it just kind of petered out. Now, Fox, uh, it launched its late show in 1986, uh, and this was the precursor before the Arsenio Hall show. Oh, really? <clears throat> Do you know who the host was? I have no idea. Joan Rivers. Really? Interesting. Yep, and that was from October to May, and then they, I believe the story is they couldn't handle Joan anymore, mm. and... So a bunch of people guest hosted for about a year. And then after that, it was revamped into the Arsenio Hall show. Well, see, and I yeah, mean, I give him credit. There's Fox trying to break uh, the standard and, and giving a woman the late night talk show slot. That's pretty good. They were trying things. Though they were trying stuff. Like but they couldn't stand her. Fox in the early days. That's funny. Yeah. That's what I think I read. If I'm wrong, tweet at us at the Arsenio Hall show show. Um, that's I'm not gonna, somebody needs to make that podcast. Twitter. that's the other one <laughs> ours is um our date with arsenio a so my biggest podcast i don't know i'm sorry no what? dinner i was thinking dinner with my our my dinner with andre isn't that what i was thinking of so my dinner with arsenio my dinner with arsenio yeah yeah that's a pretty good a retrospective for arsenio Hall show anyway yeah what the hell what um, are you talking about <laughs> i always and I was trying to fill in the gaps. Like people say they take time off for their family. Mm-hmm. And usually I feel like that's code for I'm really rich now and I don't have to work. Yeah, but uh, not a crazy net worth. He's estimated at a net worth of $16 million, which is, you know, you could t- definitely live off of that. Oh, but I think he's I, still living in I Burbank. Not, I live a very expensive lifestyle. That would not, that wouldn't cut it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two different people completely. <laughs> yeah. Well, are anyway. you familiar that he brought the talk show back uh, maybe five five or six years ago? I think it was 2013. Yeah. Yep. It only... Yeah. It didn't I mean, last I, I tuned in because I, I always, always liked him. And I was like, oh, this is a blast from the past. And I'd say the first 20 minutes when he was given his monologue was some of the most painful comedy I've ever witnessed. It just was not... Uh, he. It was like prop comedy. He was saying... Well, uh, what, what's happened since we've been off the air in 94? And so he was like taking, he was like pulling things out of a bin that from the 90s. So like, eh, it's, look, it's a floppy disk, everyone. Remember floppy disks? And then he put it down. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, AOL. Remember, they'd send this to you every week. I got like, I got like 70 of these. And then <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Arsenio's strong suit was definitely the interviews. And it was like, just get to that. But even on the newer one, he had like, I think he had like Chris Rock on and Eddie Murphy and Prince, which is huge because Prince doesn't do uh, talk shows, but they're friends. So he's able to get Prince on. And that was a big thing. It was like maybe a year or two before he died. Anyway, Hmm. uh, that didn't last. There's just no space for Arsenio Hall anymore as a talk show host, which is unfortunate. But you're right. He should have been a movie star. He should have. I don't know. He should have done the show. I mean, I think he was pretty was pretty revolutionary to have the Arsenio Hall show, I would say. So that's probably an important part. But after it ended, if you got to go take care of your kids, I get that. But yeah, he should have been. He should have tried to be a movie star. I don't know if you could. If you could, I don't know if you can pivot to that afterwards. Could you see like Jimmy Fallon saying he's going to end this Tonight Show run and then go be a movie star? I don't think it happened. <laughs> that's that's something I was thinking about too. Yeah, you don't see a lot of late show hosts become big movie stars. 
Because I think like Craig Kilborn just... may have wanted to, and that didn't work out. Remember Craig Kilborn from The no. Daily Show? No, not The Daily oh, yeah. Show. Was he on The Daily Show? No, he uh, was not on The Daily Show. No. He had his own show, The Late, Late Show, didn't he? Yeah, he and was then, on After Letterman. And then Ferguson, right? Didn't he take over, the guy from Drew Carey's show? Oh, I forgot about Kilborn. I was thinking of Ferguson. Yeah, and then He's Ferguson funny. left. But I don't know if he went to be a movie star again, but I think he tried, maybe. I don't know. And that didn't work out. Yeah. And Letterman was a uh, cabin boy, and that didn't work out. Do you remember cabin boy? <laughs> yes, that, that did not. That Jay did Leno not was in a Detroit shot movie with Pat Morita, the uh, ninja master or the kung fu master from the Karate Kid called Collision Course. Did you ever see that movie? He was, I had never seen it, but he was like a cop, wasn't yeah. he? I feel like I've seen exactly. the poster. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Famous VHS cover. Yeah, that was before he got the, the Tonight Show. But still, you know, Jay Leno trying to be an action comedian. Would have been pretty awesome if we followed that. This is what Loki should be about. Loki should go back and turn unlikely Hollywood stars in the 80s and 90s into leading men and women just to see what happens. And the first episode should be him going back to the set of Collision Course with Jade Leno and Pam Morita <laughs> and helping Jade Leno become a movie star. And now where would we be? <laughs> this is what I want to see. Like, but yeah, that's an episode of Sliders where instead of Leno, <laughs> Sliders, Seinfeld yeah. got the job. Oh my God, yeah. And How weird. And we just completely lose the show completely. See, you know, like these yeah. things happened. Like Gary Shandling was heavily favored to take over for Letterman, I think. But he may have also, because he, I think he guest hosted The Tonight Show a number of times. So he was also maybe up for that job. And he didn't get it, so he then went on to create the Larry Sanders show, which is one of the best shows of all time. So just think if he had gotten yeah. the job, we would have never had that show. Yeah. What a world. Yeah. But the thing that makes me think that Loki, we were talking about Loki before we started recording, everyone. Oh, that's um, right. We were recording. The thing that, about so. Loki is that uh, What If is coming out on Marvel Plus or yeah. Disney Plus 2. And so it makes me think that it won't be as fun in multiversity because we're going to get a lot of those what if stories in the yeah. animated. I'm realm. a little di disappointed that it's animated, though. And I like animated, <sighs> but it, it makes it feel not part of the, the Marvel universe if it's animated. It just feels like another one of those Marvel movies that they just put out animated and nobody watches but kids. And, and I think the real reason that it had to be animated was that it's not feasible to get a what if Iron Man story or a what if Thor story unless it's animated. True. Um well let's so yeah we're here to today. should we do our twenty minutes on the original and then move on from there. Yeah let's yeah let's, do, let's that. do that. So coming to America did this this is gonna turn into an immediate tangent. Uh <laughs> what did what modern movie did coming to America remind you of? It if it reminded you of one at all. Reminded me that Zumunda was the original Wakanda. Yes! Isn't that funny? <laughs> there are very strong Black Panther vibes in yeah, this totally. movie. And I give a lot of credit to Eddie Murphy. He was really the architect of this movie. It was his story. Mm -hmm. He handpicked John Landis to direct it. Eddie Murphy was a great actor in the 80s for boosting up the black community mm -hmm. he really made a lot of empowered black films and this was in that run where he just used his giant movie star persona to really uh highlight a lot of unknowns and to bring in a lot of 
good oldies. Like, and that's we've covered Landis before, a very problematic yeah. person. But it's a lot of themes that we saw in previous movies of his as well. And so I think it was a good pairing, even though they totally fell out with this movie. Did yeah, you see that little I, blurb? I read it sounded like they didn't get along very well on Trading Places, which was a couple years prior. Because oh. Murphy said that Landis tra- treated him like a kid. And he said, yeah, I was a kid at that time. But now I'm a movie star. And he's still treating me like a kid. But he said he felt bad at the whole Twilight Zone trial that Landis had gone through. That's another big issue. And he also said that he felt he was feeling bad for Landis because he didn't have success at that time. Like he wasn't doing well. But I don't know what he would have been talking about because I feel like every 80s movie Landis made was a hit. But then they. Doing it for an old friend. Did you see the deal he gave him? No. Landis got paid 600000 so not a lot up front. But he got 10% of the gross receipts. That's pretty good. Or something like that. It was crazy good. Well, he was an in, in-demand um, director, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, his previous two films were Three Amigos and Amazon Women on the Moon. Oh, yeah. Three Amigos may be more of a cult hit. Maybe it wasn't that popular when it came out. But the Amazon that's Women, what I'm yeah, that definitely. That's gone I've never heard the, of it. The waistband. Waistband. The waste bin of history, of cinema history. Maybe it's funny. And know. they actually reteamed for Beverly Hills Cop Three. Yes. And so, no matter all the, no matter what crap that he was talking, they still kept working together. Yeah. So it's interesting. Eddie Murphy seems like he says some shit sometimes. Yeah, Eddie Murphy is. He has that strong vibe of he doesn't go anywhere without four guys yeah. with him that always make him feel better about himself. Right. Right. <laughs> like he needs that movie star treatment that you yeah. see jokingly. I actually, it makes me think about uh, what's the name of the show with Alec Baldwin and Tracy Morgan. 30 Rock. Yeah. Like maybe Tracy Rock. Morgan was a very Eddie Murphy jokey version. Type. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's just the because a uh, uh, Chappelle show. Did you ever watch Chappelle show? Dave Chappelle short lived like I, season show on Comedy Central. It's been so long. Super funny. But yes, I... Charlie Murphy is Eddie Murphy's brother. And Charlie Murphy was on that show a lot because uh, him and Chappelle were friends. And Murph and Charlie Murphy would just have stories of him hanging out with his brother in the 80s and the wild shit they would do. So, yeah, you're spot on. And there's this amazing episode of Chappelle's show where Dave Chappelle plays Prince. There's a lot of Prince talk in this episode. I hope people like Prince. Uh, and Char- where Charlie Murphy tells a true story about him and Eddie going over to prince's house and it's one of the most one of probably the funniest episode of Chappelle show anyway if you've ever seen it it's pretty funny but uh yeah you're spot on in that i think he was maybe one of the original entourage dudes that's just yeah strong vibe i get but you know what he's a huge movie store yeah star and he's earned it and i actually thought that eddie murphy had kind of been off the radar when he came out with dolomite but god if he was it was just for a few years like yeah this he's guy definitely has... worked consistently but he hasn't done anything yeah. that's really stood out he does it seems like he does something that stands out every four years maybe because he was in the dream girls where he had kind of a cameo maybe not a cameo a little bigger but i think he, he they were talking about how he was going to be up for an academy award for it i don't think he was or was he got the golden globe okay, but i gotcha. don't think there was love from the academy yeah and then and... yeah then he goes away and then he comes back and this and that. You're going to mention Norbit, a, right? <laughs> uh, 
Because a no, lot of people I was say that that's to... what killed his Academy Award chances, is that Norbit, the awful movie where oh. he plays an obese woman, came out like right on the heels of the Academy. Like After he does this break breakthrough performance in Dreamgirls, out comes this shitty movie called Norbit. Uh, and then yes. the Academy's like, we don't want anything to do with them. Norbit came out in February, and yeah. I think the yeah, Academy like was Oscar like month. March or April. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> um, but that I've never seen the clip, but that's the one where Murphy just immediately left the Oscars as soon as he lost. He really? walked out. Oh, yeah. Man. So, yeah, it, it's Girls. like a strong vibe. I didn't see it either. I was I was I always loved uh Murphy in the 80s because I think he was one of those rare he was a rare black movie star that could that could basically tell Hollywood we're going to we're going to make a movie I want to make a movie where you're not going to see a white person for the first 25 minutes of the film and nobody else in Hollywood would allow that to happen but they're like well he's like Murphy so we're going to let it happen so he probably broke through a lot uh he broke through things Maybe broke the glass ceiling in a way, as they say, for the way Hollywood may be today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. He was definitely one of those people. Did you see Harlem Nights? I think I did years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been years for me, but I remember loving it. And okay. this is this is Eddie Murphy's flex. Um, he talks about how he planned on originally directing Coming to America, but was throwing Landis a bone. Yep. Um, he did go ahead and he directed Harlem Nights, which is just he brought in Richard Pryor and it's the two of them and the best of the African-American stars in it. Wait, here it is. <clears throat> Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Red Fox. Was that after Coming to America? It's, Harlem Nights? It came out the year after Coming to America. Harlem Nights was really Eddie Murphy at his peak of mm-hmm. exercising that control. Um and that one was a bit more of a flop. Yeah. I think it was, was just a little too serious. The Golden Child, which I actually remember seeing, and that was okay, but it was a little... Did you ever see Golden Child? I'm not I'm not sure I on did. these years. Everything with Murphy, like, blends together. I can't... I couldn't remember, like, did Coming to America come first, or was Trading Places? And, and then now that I looked at the filmography, I was like, oh, yeah, obviously, Trading Places was earlier, and then Coming to America. And then he was in a movie called Boomerang. Yeah. All these movies kind of were around the same time, so I'm never sure on what year. But I just know that a lot of those didn't exactly catch fire. God, his filmography is insane. Yeah. I'm just going to run through it real quick. So we have 48 Hours. Oh, God, I love 48 Hours. Have you ever seen it? I don't think I have. Yeah, it's really, it's worth seeing. It's pretty good. They're, it's very, like, they're both just like, uh, they swear so much and they're just assholes in that movie. But it's fun. It's a fun, it's a really raw cop buddy comedy uh that's scott what's his name uh tony scott no no what uh, saying? who's his partner again oh nick nolte nick nolte a yeah. guy that i've never really loved ever no? no i liked him in 48 hours so that's probably why he gets a pass on a lot of things yeah so maybe i gotta check that out for sure yeah. uh directed by walter hill yeah who there you go took a break from his alien franchise to do stuff <laughs> kind of nice uh then we got Trading Places in 83, Best Defense. I've never heard of that one. Beverly Hills Cop, The Golden Child, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Coming to America, Harlem Nights, Another 48 Hours, Boomerang, The Distinguished Gentleman, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Vampire in Brooklyn, which I've seen loved, so many times. I always loved Vampire in Brooklyn. 
Maybe it was the Wes Craven like, thing that grabbed me first because I just thought I it, was it was funny for to me see too. him do a com like a horror comedy, and then Eddie Murphy was in it, and he had like that awesome hair, and he was a vampire, and Angela Bassett's in it, right? And I loved all that, so I loved all that combination. So I remember feeling like I wanted to like it more than I actually did because I don't think it was that good of a film, but there's something about it that I I loved all those pieces. Like I, he just kept making all the zombie people like be his yeah, followers. Like it was right. a very um, and next it was the Night Professor, Metro, which I've never heard of. I Mulan. like Metro a lot. Yeah, um, I think Metro is the line, or is it Nutty Professor, where he starts doing a lot of kid stuff. Yeah. And now we've got Doctor Doolittle, mm-hmm. Holy Man, Life, which is not, which is definitely an adult film. Yep. That I was that like one. one of the most expensive movies made at the time. So I feel like yeah, there's some story about it that I know what you're talking about, and that was by Ted. What's his name? Ted Demi. Ted Demi, who's uh, Jonathan Demi's the Sons of the Lambs director. That's his brother. And he made Blow with Johnny Depp after that, which is one of my favorite films. And then he died of like a heart attack, unfortunately. Because I, I always liked Ted Demi, and I just felt like he was going places. But Life cost $80 million, and that was probably a lot in 1999 for a comedy. And that was with Martin and, Lawrence, too, right? Yep. And it boxed $73 million. Yeah. And then... Bowfinger, which is amazing. Yeah, I remember seeing that with you in theaters, and I don't know, I just didn't really get it, but I'd have to see it again. Because people I, I know it's it. become more of a cult film. Uh, Naughty Professor 2, Shrek, Dr. Doolittle 2, Showtime, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, I Spy. Showtime was a yeah, it kind of Really? Yeah. I never saw it, though. Oh, they're pointing at each other in the posters. Like, look at this guy. Uh, everybody should go and look at the Showtime poster. It's important. Um, anyway, uh, so well, yeah, Eddie Shrek Murphy made everyone star. a bajillionaire that was involved with that. So that's hard to, I think, have that much money and feel like you really need to ever work again. But he did Eddie get Murphy's on. He got on the Disney train. Million. Yeah, he got on the Disney train with Mulan, and then that continued with a couple things. We saw the haunted museum. Did you see that? It no. was because they made Pirates of the Caribbean right off of the ride, and that became a huge success. So then they were like, "Oh, let's get Murphy to do the Haunted Museum, which is another Disney ride." Uh, and that oh. was okay. It wasn't that great of a film. Uh, but I think, see, a lot of people say, "Let's get it back to Coming to America," is that Coming to America signaled a problem for Murphy because this is the movie that made Murphy realize he could play every character and didn't really need anybody <laughs> else. <laughs> Which this worked well in beginning. Coming to America because it was like a comedy aside. But then it turned into something bigger with Nutty Professor and Norbit and just his maybe declining quality. Speaking of the characters that Eddie Murphy plays and this being the first time that he does it because he's so well known for it mm-hmm. now. It brings me back to Arsenio Hall again. Yeah. Because Arsenio played multiple characters yep. as well, and he absolutely kept up with Eddie Murphy, yeah. beat for beat. Yeah, like, I think he's he was... the part. If him playing other characters, he doesn't get the same respect that Murphy did for this movie. And yeah, I was amazed too, because I, 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 I definitely seen Coming to America when I was younger, but I hadn't seen it in a long time, so I just forgot exactly what Arsenio did in the movie and all of his, like especially the preacher. He's so good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like. The old Jewish man in the barbershop. I did not know that it was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Isn't that like, good? It that's was some of the best I looked makeup. Up. And that's probably Stan Winston, I think, the makeup person, even for Coming to America. I believe it was Stan Winston. Um, that sounds 
and then he brought him back. I think he also did the Nutty Professor, and he pretty uh, he was kind of Murphy's go to guy. I think he also did Norbit, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Winston, you know, he um, worked on the the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. He's done a lot of crazy stuff. T two, he did the Terminators and stuff. Off off for that. Yeah, like the name sounds very yeah. familiar. Anyway, coming to America. Coming to America. I'm gonna try to run through this plot in not too much fast. to it. This should be pretty easy. So, Coming to America is a fish-out-of-water story about a prince from Africa who decides to go to America to find his true love. Bam, instead there of you go. Being... Let's go to the sequel. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much it. Now, it the one problem I have with this movie and the sequel is that none of the love is earned ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, he met her for a few days and she's down with going to Africa and being a queen. Yeah. You know, well, like... it's a it's a situational comedy in that the f- situations they get in are humorous, and that's what propels the movie along. But there's not a lot of story that actually goes along with it. That's how I feel about coming to America. He's Akeem. He's Prince Akeem. His father's James Earl Jones, who's the king of Zumunda, which is a made-up African country with strong very, Wakanda vibes. With Wakanda vibes, which, to be fair, Wakanda was first, you know, in the comics in the 1960s. So Wakanda had been around. So maybe Murphy was even inspired by Wakanda. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he read a lot of Fantastic Four comics and Black Panther comics when he was younger. Who knows? So, but it's a it's a king situation in Zumunda. So they're very. The royalty, it's a beautiful place, beautiful people. They're very modern uh, and uh, they're very royal. So Akeem is going to be uh, married to another tribe, uh, to a girl from another tribe. They'll join families. He doesn't really want to do this because he wants to find somebody, that old age trope of, I want to marry for love. So James Earl Jones lets him go to America to sow his wild oats. And he thinks just to get it out of his system and they'll come back and be the proper king that he wants them to be. He doesn't. I don't think he really expects him to go and find somebody he'll fall in love with in America, of all places. Yeah, there's there's some misogyny here. Is that the right word? Yeah, a misogyny. Bit. I would say so. Yeah, but that's hard not but, to have when you're doing a movie about a about a monarchy. Everything about uh, a monarchy yeah. is just wrong in every way. I hate monarchies. I think it's the stupidest thing. It's one of the most old. It's even maybe even worse than religion. I'm not sure. But it's just one of those old-fashioned <laughs> things that people find amazing still. So if anything, I think they take the monarchy serious in this movie uh, to its detriment and that it is the, to some misogyny. But at the same time, this is also Murphy making fun of the whole process as well. So there's a little bit of both. And they get into... Hey, Arsenio Hall goes with them to America. Yep. And they get into who, who, some zany adventures. Name? Sammy, Semi, Semi is his right hand man. So they go together. Uh, Semi definitely is just like, let's just be king. Let's just let's. You should just be prince. Like you should enjoy this or whatever. Like America's horrible. It's gonna mess us up. But he, you know, goes with them anyways because it's his prince. And they go to of all places, New York, of course. Yep, Queens because that's where royalty should go is queens and now this is new york in the 80s which is pretty dilapidated and shitty and that's part of the joke too and that they go to they want the real experience so they get the worst apartment in the worst part of town they get immediately robbed all their stuff stolen but like akeem is so positive about the whole experience that he's just like oh that's fine they can take our clothes this is what new york is all about i'm happy to be in america yeah it's adorable because he gets a job at a knockoff McDonald's, yep. which is maybe one of the best 
most iconic parts of the movie. It's definitely the part of the movie uh, I remember the most is McDowell's, which is McDowell's. John Lewis's ripoff of McDowell's. And they don't like hide it. Like that's not part of the joke. Like throughout the movie, he he you see McDonald's things that he's like trying to steal. <laughs> I don't know how they got around that. Was maybe there was a maybe they wanted McDonald's to be part of the movie and they wouldn't allow it. So then that turn uh, totally was like him like, all right, well, F you. I mean, we're going to do it anyways. And then that became part of the movie. I have no idea, but I'd like to think that is what happened. I like to think that as well, yeah. But yeah, he's just a janitor there. And he thinks it's so fun to be a janitor because yeah. he's never That's had awesome. to do that work before, which actually <laughs> probably would be. But it's besides the point. There's yep. there's just a lot of fun, tropey stuff. And Mr. He McDowell has the... a daughter. Has two daughters. Yeah. Lisa. Lisa, right. Lisa's So, of course, Lisa is the, you know, the love interest. We know it from the beginning. Yeah. Because she's smart. But the and, and little she sister. Will... Yeah. Little sister. The little she's, sister totally she's a little hot for him. Yeah. Yeah. And she seemed and a little young. So that was a little weird. Then we've got <laughs> Daryl. Yes, Daryl. Eric LaSalle. Eric LaSalle. Yeah. He's, he was great in ER. In ER, yeah. Isn't and then him? the last time I yeah. saw him was in Logan. Did you see Logan? He was in that movie. Oh, yeah, I saw Logan. Yeah. But he was, that was in the last it? time I saw him. He was in, he was the guy that they went, he was, it was the dad and he had a wife and a kid or whatever. And they were, oh, the, the family that, that got killed? To. Yep, the family got killed. Oh. I had problems with that movie. That movie, it was good, but they just did stupid things. They did real stupid things. The whole like thing when thing he, was let's bleak. take a tangent. When he not, do you remember the bad guy? When he like, knocks out the bad guy they just put him in the truck and he tells his friend uh caliban or whatever his name is just yeah, uh, g- get him out of here and i'm like Are, you're not gonna tie him up obviously he's going to wake up and take your friend hostage and that is exactly what happened that bothered me yeah, i was why, like why why, why would you do a stupid him? thing like that why wouldn't you just kill him you're wolverine you kill everybody right and then Man. secondly hey professor x we gotta get off the road let's go to this family's house I'm sure they won't suffer for our stupidity. <laughs> I knew they were going to die. Of course they were going to die. And they were going to get tracked down. So it was like they, were, they, they kept doing stupid thing after stupid thing. And I'm like, this is out of character. This is bad writing. That's what I didn't like about it. But overall, the movie yeah, was like, good. So, I mean, it's definitely in the future. Yeah. And it definitely seems like all the X-Men are probably super dead. Yeah. But if Professor X is still alive, it can't be that far into the future. Like you couldn't have get tell, told us anything about yeah. how the X Men died. It's I think it's too in the weeds. Like they 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 didn't have time in the movie to get into all that. But I'd say it, just like it, he was like nineties. He was like in his nineties. So it it probably was like I'm guessing ten or fifteen years later. But that's probably about it. I don't think they could do too far ahead, or he'd be just too damn old. Yeah, the cars were just a little futuristic. Yeah, but I loved that yeah. Professor X was lose like dementia. I thought that was a great take on it, and that it was really it awesome was good. With his powers. It was really good. How anyway. did you think of the adamantium <laughs> killing him? I don't remember exactly how that like, happened. He, he was dying because he was getting old, and his healing factor was getting weaker. Yeah, and his healing factor is the only thing that kept him alive from the adamantium, and so oh. the adamantium was poisoning him, like lead poisoning his healing factor. Yeah, it's just an interesting little take that I had never heard before. Yeah, that's true. So Eric LaSalle <sighs> was in that movie. <laughs> that's how yes. we got into this tangent. As well as coming to America, playing right. Lisa's stupid boyfriend. Yeah. Who? Well, I'll tell you what the best things about coming to America to me are. It's number three. Maybe I can do this in order. Number three is uh, Arsenio Hall's Preacher. 
that's probably my third favorite. Uh, the second is Eddie Murphy's old Jewish dude from the barbershop, the white Jewish guy from the barbershop. And the first is the Soul Glow Jerry Curl Cream theme song. <laughs> I, was just, I loved hearing it. I thought it was amazing. It made me laugh every time. So that's like Daryl's whole role is the fact that he's a rich dude that own, that is his father owns Soul Glow, which is what a lot of uh, African-American people used in their hair to give it crazy, greasy curls. And even in the 80s, when it was very popular, 70s, 80s, people were making fun of it just as much as people used it. And I think that's what Eddie Murphy loved about it is that he just thought it was ridiculous. Let's make fun of Jerry Curls and all that shit. So yeah, that's Daryl's part, part in the movie is that he's a Jerry Curl guy. And so I want to just go over Lisa's arc real quick. Sure. This is my big issue with the movie. Lisa's in love with a rich man who isn't isn't Daryl the one who doesn't want her to work anymore so there's yeah. obviously some conflicts yep. but she meets she meets a cute janitor in her dad's restaurant and decides that she likes him <sighs> yeah that's a because thing. he wants her to be who she is instead of giving up on her feminist ideals to be with Daryl so then she, surprise, he's actually a prince, but I love him anyways. All right. So she then becomes a princess and gives up her feminist ideals to go live in a monarchy, which will never allow women to be rulers of the country. <laughs> so Lisa's arc doesn't make a lot of sense. And she ends up basically doing the exact same thing she was afraid of doing with Daryl. She does it with Akeem, but he's a prince. You can't complain. I'm rich. I'm living in a cool country now. Whatever. So there's not a lot yeah. of yeah. There's not a lot of lessons to be learned from this movie. All right. If there is a lesson, it's don't try to be anything other than <laughs> what. Like she has the same fate, whether it's Daryl yes. or Akeem. And yeah, I know. So that's the yeah. thing that bothered me about the whole point of the movie. If you want to read into it, which is obviously what we do on this podcast. But if you don't want to read into it and just enjoy it for the mcdowell's comedy and the jerry curls and and arsenio hall's preacher then then it's perfectly a fun little romp <laughs> and my review on letterboxd basically said the exact same thing like yeah. the movie definitely has issues but it has so much heart you kind of can't help but love it uh, there you go yeah and 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 it modernizes a, a little bit in that he ends up because once Sam, Sam, sammy simmy simmy what's his name arsenio hall's simmy? character Semi. Sammy. Semi. 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 <laughs> Once Semi basically spends all the money because he's tired of living <laughs> like crap in New York. He spends all the he money. He goes native. It's awesome. Yeah. He has to contact Zamunda and say, I need more money. So James Earl Jones, the king, gets word about what's going on. He realizes uh, Akeem is taking it way more seriously than he thought he would. So he has to come to America. He has to get his son back. But he learns a lesson, and, and Akeem teaches him that they need to progress. They can't just be this monarchy where you marry who you're supposed to marry. You want to marry for love. So I think he does get that through to his father and maybe that's a little bit of change and i think he does generally love lisa and i think she actually loves him but she decides not to go back with him and then it's a big surprise at the end when she's actually the bride so somehow she snuck into the country everybody was into it they let her dress up as the bride but nobody told akeem until the last moment and he realized oh great i do get to marry the person i wanted to marry what do you know 
and then they're all a big happy family. It's a very bizarre ending. Doesn't make a lot of sense. There's no good lesson to it. Um, but it's a movie with a strong African American presence, which is something that only Eddie Murphy could have pulled off probably in the eighties. That's a plus. Yep. It's pretty funny here and there. Arsenio Hall is great. Uh and it all works out well for Hakeem. So I think it's a good film. And it's not the classic that I would say Trading Places is. Yeah. But it's it, still pretty it's still a pretty fun film. What's the right way to put it? Like there's no bad Eddie Murphy movie because Eddie Murphy's great. Yeah. No, that's not right. I, I mean, know. maybe I, I haven't seen all of his films, so maybe he does suck in some of them where you're just like god he really phoned it in but i don't think so he's usually a pretty good presence that's makes some yeah he doesn't seem like a phone it in yeah Yeah. and that's actually i mean not to just gush about eddie murphy but he is actually a really good actor oh he's great yeah yeah yeah. he's great yeah um all right so that's what was so disappointing for the world when he started doing that turn in the in the family fair is that we just thought it was like it wasn't worthy of his talent. Like everybody knew how good he could be, and it just felt like he was really phoning in. Or it was just because he has like eight kids and he wanted movies for them. Sure, that's all. I mean, that, and that's totally makes sense. These are his choices, and I wouldn't take it away from him. I can only say I mean, so much, but I but it, it goes from disappointment to seeing you somebody you love in movies do kind of like immature kind of movies. And then it turns into a backlash where you're like angry at him for it. And that's kind of what happened. Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe him too. Yeah. Uh, but he's not, but he's never been as popular as Eddie Murphy. So that's the thing. Right. Like, what if Tom Cruise just started to make kid movies and shit? You'd be angry. And it's the same thing with De Niro. I think a lot of people are angry about De Niro. And then he started doing that, just paycheck movies for some reason. Why did you do that? You don't have to do that. You're De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say Murphy was uh, and, on their level, and that's why. See, the problem with the Eddie Murphy and De Niro are that they are two of the richest people in Hollywood. Yeah, like De Niro's worth like five hundred million, and so I don't think he does those movies for the money. Like he, he just has so much. Do it? I don't know. He's got to. It, it get could be very offers. expensive to be De Niro. It's very. Strange. I don't know. Yeah. Like he he does uh, movies like. Like, 50 Cent was in a movie, and he was in that. It was called Righteous Kill, and he was in that movie. And it just wasn't, like, it. that's the only offer he got in that month. I'm sure he got okay. better offers. I just don't understand why that would okay, be something maybe he did. I need to look this up because that sounds like a paycheck movie if I've ever. There's plenty heard. of paycheck movies. Okay, like, yeah, Showtime totally makes sense to movie. me because it's like, oh, I can act with Eddie Murphy. That's probably what De Niro's thinking. Oh, the two of us together, this could be gold. Let's do it. Didn't pan oh, out that way. Righteous Kill think. was another Pacino De Niro? Yeah, there you go. Pacino was in it too. Yeah, like I there's the two big it. heads on the cover. I just don't get it. I don't know, man. They're pointless shoot 'em up movies, and there's no reason that either of them should have wasted their time with it when they probably could have got something way more interesting to do from Scorsese probably was like... Oh, you should have called me. I had a movie you could be in. I mean, I get Pacino, like, but I don't don't get get any of them. I don't get Murphy. But you know what? Enough time goes by, and people just love to see him. And I think that's what takes us to coming to America with the word two replaced by the number two to indicate it's the sequel, which just came out on Amazon Prime, which I guess was supposed to be in theaters, but because of the pandemic, Amazon just kind of bought it outright, or they made Hmm. it. I think they made it because it said Amazon Studios, but I think they were going to put it in theaters, but then they ended up just directly putting it 
uh, the service. Yeah, it was originally supposed to be distributed in theaters in August. It bought it for $125 million. And that's that was my big question with all these deals is how they're compensating the people for not going theatrical. Yeah, how um, do you handle all that? Uh, money on um, the back end, as they say, or the points system that they get based on box office. With HBO and Netflix and I believe Amazon, they go through and they actually pay everybody involved. But in some cases, that's not happening. Like Paramount just shifted a bunch of movies to Paramount Plus and those people weren't even told and they weren't paid back end deals at all. But if that's in your contract, what do you do? Yeah, they have to be writing some pretty general contracts over there. They they must. Isn't they, that funny though? Because say you say you make a, a movie and you don't take a fee, you just say I'm, I want two percent of profit, and they say okay, and then your movie goes on to make a hundred million out of like a forty million budget. So you get a little money off that. You get two percent, whatever that was. That's happy. But what if that movie catches fire and it makes a billion dollars? Then you get a ton of money because you have two percent of that billion dollars. That's a huge amount of money. But if you put it directly to streaming, I think there's none of that. I think you could just get paid for being in the movie and end it. I don't know how that money on the back end ever would materialize. Yeah, it has to be in deals because like it's those are subscription numbers. And so there's no actual like they have to have a metric where they judge how well a movie does and Mm -hmm. how valuable it was in terms of subscribers. But it's probably partially a bullshit metric. Yeah. Like, so this, there probably is a reason for not putting out Black Widow, say, or other movies that have been done for a year. And people just assume they just put on Disney+. Plus. Maybe Scarlett Johansson has a deal like that. Maybe she's like, no, I get theater profits. So you got to put it in theaters. So then they're like, oh, you're right. I think they just didn't want to do any Marvel movies streaming. Like they didn't want to mess with the brand. But then they changed their minds and Black Widow is going to be available on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, in theater at the same time, though, right? Isn't that the idea? Yeah, right. And it's like the whole, you pay 30 bucks on Disney+. Yep. Plus, So it's pretty. It's a lot clearer where the money comes from yep. in that situation. So yeah, I'm when just thinking, get... like, maybe Jamie Foxx just got a straight-up paycheck for doing Soul, that Pixar movie, because they didn't do the premiere access. They just put it right on Disney+. Plus. So there was no yeah. theater release whatsoever. But it was Pixar, which is a brand. It's a big brand. You think yeah. they'd make money? I'm pretty sure that beat Wonder Woman at, at Christmas. Like that was a big hit. Yeah. Did you ever watch it? I never watched it. I did. Yeah, it was good. We talked about it a little bit in one of these podcasts. I was disappointed. Oh, did ending. we? I, I, yeah, I felt like they just kind of. I felt like they were going for that Inside Out magic with that Amy Poehler one that Pixar did, but they just didn't. They've run out of after 20 movies or so. They've run out of things to really say that's unique. So I felt it was just kind of a ripoff of that movie in a way. It was definitely done in a different way. And that was fun, like the whole jazz part of it. Uh, but it just ended with a non-message that didn't that I thought people were confused about. I read things online and they were like, oh, it's so amazing that it was really telling you this and that and that. And it's such a great message to hear. And I'm like, it was not saying that. It didn't know what it was saying. What are you talking about? So I wasn't as... Oh enthralled about it as most people were kind of off topic but did you hear the latest rumor about the spider-man movie no i have not and i 100 percent believe this rumor is wrong so i give it no oh, credit okay. but they're they're saying that the main villain is gonna be norman osborne from the sam raimi spider-man oh my god Willem, Willem dafoe <laughs> 
Yeah, and I don't see it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't see it at all. Can't they just go out there and I hope they will just go out there and try to make a good movie and not try to just make it fan service? Because that's although I don't believe in. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't believe any of this stuff. The only thing I believe is that they brought in Dr. Octopus to cameo briefly. And that's yes, it. that is the thing that we know is a fact and he and they brought jamie fax back to play electro but i believe it has nothing to do with the original electro that was in the amazing spider-man film that's yeah, why i don't know i think he um, just happens to be the same actor and he's playing the character again but it's not the same character speculation that i am very interested in is that they say that this movie is going to somehow bridge uh sony's spider-man universe i think they're going to play with a multiverse idea here where i'm guessing at the end of this movie peter parker is going to get knocked and trapped into that universe Mm. that's my wild guess i'm saying it now because well there's two reasons number one we've got what's his name uh michael keaton yep. in prison for what is it venom no for morbius yeah was right that where That's we saw him yeah i think in the trailer or was right? it in venom so we've got that guy and there was somebody saying that spider-man was going to fight one of these villains like we we're actually going to see him so anyway that's my wild Here, here's guess. what i think is going to happen i think spider-man 3 will be the last spider-man marvel movie i think sony's not going to allow him to be used in Marvel anymore. I think that they let Marvel have their fun with him and he's going to be retired in the same way Captain America and Iron Man have been retired. And then Sony is going to cast a brand new Spider-Man to now be part of their Venom Morbius universe because Sony can do it on their own now. They don't need, but they can do it on their own again. They did it on their own once with Raimi. It went great. Nobody was interested in the, in the Andrew Garfield version. So they let Marvel have their fun with it and build the character back up in the in the cinematic universe and now they can handle it on their own again that's what i think is going to happen i think tom holland's going to be done after this spider-man i agree with all of that except i don't think tom holland will be done he's done they're not going to bring him into the tom hardy uh venom universe These are, I mean, these Spider-Man movies are Sony productions, mm-hmm. the, like co-productions. And so like Sony has a little bit of say here. Oh, I think they have um, a lot of say, but they allow Kevin Feige to make those films the way he yeah. feels they should be made in order to fit into the Marvel Universe. But that doesn't interest Sony in their own way. So they're going to have a new Spider-Man because they want to start. All right, so you don't want to you don't want to include all this mess with Tom holland's spider-man into this venom cletus cassidy uh woody harrelson thing it's just not it's just a mess it's a huge mess and, and it brings up too many distracting questions right so you just you're gonna have gonna a gonna new spider-man it. so we're on the I, i'm we're, stamping we completely it. agree <laughs> with everything except for that one part and so yeah we yeah. will see where it ends up this is the record don't cut this out if well this, this is out, what you cheating. do i won't cut this out this is what you do spider-man gets too old you need to take spider-man back to being a kid tom holland is already aging out of spider-man especially after you see him in this third movie you're gonna be like oh, he's not really a he's not really a high schooler anymore oh, and Peter they want to make him a high schooler old. again yeah but not no, in the see? movies he can't be in the movies i think for some reason he i don't know all by himself is going to be trapped in the venom universe at the end of this third movie I think that I think that's a detriment to Sony's universe of Spider-Man films that he has to having be, Spider-Man that, in it. No, that they that they have to say 
Marvel's version is better than ours. We need to find a way to pull him in to make us better. They're not going to do that. They're like, we fucking made Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. None of you assholes would even be here without how awesome those movies were. We know what we're doing. We're Sony. We got our own Spider-Man. We're going to let Marvel have their fun, but we're going to start it over, as we always do. All That's right. what I think. So who's going to be do the we new put money on this? Yeah, do we put money on this bet? <laughs> we put money on this. Let's put money on this bet. Five bucks, says. Five dollars. But it has to be exactly to... right. So okay. my All five dollars is five dollars that after Spider-Man three with Tom Holland, he's done with the character and Sony has a new Spider-Man after that. That's what I'm betting on. And my bet is that at the end of this third movie, Tom Holland is trapped in the Sony Spider-Verse. And that's my guess. Yeah. And we will find out and okay. uh, we will like that. have a follow up at the appropriate time. So anyway, uh, coming great. to America. Is a movie about a prince in Africa finding love with a woman that he cares about, and he uh, he does that. The end. End of the podcast is was great. Um, Coming to America is about Eddie Murphy as the king. We have... well, see, he's still prince when the movie starts because James Earl Jones oh, yes. is still around. So yeah, in the movie, James we see Jones. James Earl Jones actually die. And I actually like how they had, he's like, I want to have a funeral because I want to see you guys enjoy it. So they give him a funeral and he dies at his funeral. That was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah. it's Is it morbid that they filmed James Earl Jones dying? Because he's he actually died right there, right? Is he still alive? Uh, he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a got a couple joke. more Darth Vaders in him because they won't ever let that die. He is 90 years old. Mm-hmm. He's up there. Uh, yes. And then he becomes king. He's doing this thing where he he kind of does express a lot of the qualities of James Earl Jones as king, mm-hmm. but he's still trying to earn that place. We, we see a much more matured Akeem in this movie. Well, it's been but 30 he's... some years and he, I think he, the, the enormity of being king is now on him. So he's defaulting to tradition and his, he has three beautiful daughters who are all basically training to uh, be, to take over a modern version of Zumunda. And I knew there would be a Wakanda joke in there, and Tracy Morgan says it a, a little bit in there <laughs> later in the movie. But it kind of felt a little Black Panther-ish in that they wanted to be this modern society, and these girls are the future. And that's what Akeem needs to realize, because his oldest daughter, he has a lot of respect for, but tradition holds that a woman would never be a, the, the true ruler of Zumunda. So Wesley Snipes, who plays an awesome role, he plays ne- the ruler of Nextoria, which is really I'm sure that was mentioned because his sister, right, is the woman that he was supposed to marry back in the, in the first movie. movie. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I guess Snipes, as the ruler of, of Nextoria, has always held this uh, animosity with Akeem, who's now king. So he's like, you got to make things right. After all these years, you got to make things right and you have to marry my daughter. Or your, your son. Wait, how does that go? Like you... No, I take that back. So he he wants him to make it right, but he is basically there to make fun of Akeem because he knows he doesn't have a son, right? Yeah, it's an issue that he doesn't have a son. Yeah. How do they find out that he has a son? The creepy voodoo witch doctor had a vision of a son in New York, and he gave him a picture, and they believe that to be true immediately, that he had a vision and he actually had a son in New York. 
And then Semi tells Eddie or tells Akeem that, yeah, there actually was a moment you might have forgot you were a little high that uh, Leslie Jones's character was one of the girls we invited over. And yeah, you guys slept together and she actually had your son in America. Sorry, I didn't remind you of that. It's a weird <laughs> thing, but that was the only way to make him have a son, I guess, in this fashion that would be born in America. So they had to do the de-aging process with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. And it didn't look too bad. It was a little weird, I thought. It looked... I felt like it looked like cut scenes from the first movie. Yeah. I thought they did such a good job. When they did use original scenes in the movie, it did cut pretty well together, I thought. Um, But it had to be the de-aging thing. Like, there's no way they shot some of that stuff. (laughs) Maybe they just green-screened it in Leslie Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe they did. I don't know. So anyways, he's got a son in America. And this, of course, pisses off his daughter, who's like, well, I was supposed to be the rightful heir. But oh, well, I got a son and I don't want to look bad to Nextoria and Wesley Snipes. I want to prove that I do have a son and my son will be the new ruler. And then my son will marry your daughter. And then those two ruling families will combine and everybody will be happy. So Akeem and Semi have to go back to america to find his son very briefly because this is a reverse fish out of water exactly i was surprised at that at how quickly they find his son who's just some kid you know doesn't really have direction in life but he's got a big family he's got tracy morgan as an uncle he's got leslie jones as his mom uh and his name is jermaine fowler is that it and he's great. Yeah, his real he name. was really yeah. good. I had never seen him before, but he was really, really good. I thought he was well cast in this role as Lavelle. He hasn't been in a ton of stuff, but yeah, he's great. Like we're gonna see him a lot. Yeah, he's gonna be big. Uh, hopefully, he yeah. will be big. And I think that's what people said about Arsenio Hall. They were like, "Oh, he's gonna be big," and then he only did the TV show and then never did any movies. So hopefully, Jermaine doesn't go immediately into doing a talk show in that <laughs> he has a big career. <laughs> because <laughs> he was good uh, he was in judas and the black messiah which i have not seen yet but i've I heard it's it. great yeah. so they nab him they tell him hey you're the son you're the rightful heir of zamunda and then like leslie jones had to explain to him like oh yeah that is your baby daddy and we got to go to zamunda now so then they immediately take him from america and they go to zamunda i was surprised at that i thought they were going to be in america for longer but this is a really as you say reverse and that they're mostly in zamunda <sighs> I don't like to ever disparage people. It's not my thing unless they're really terrible, like um, yeah, go for that it. punk from that 70s show. But I find Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan to be pretty one note. Mm. Like, there's not a lot of range with them. I like yeah. them for their comedy, but that's about it. And I mean, they, they fit yeah, in yeah. here, but it's the exact same character I feel like I've seen in every movie yeah i'm with you in that tracy morgan that's the thing did you watch 30 rock like from the beginning and and did you watch it a lot yeah he was a very different character in that first season and maybe a couple oh yeah like he was eddie murphy he was portraying that kind of superstar and then they took a hard left into turning him into an idiot like a complete (laughs) dumb fat idiot and then that is where they left him the whole time and i thought it was a real detriment to his character i thought he was funnier when he was that cool star that he was in the first couple seasons but then it's like he gained weight and they made him stupid and then he's been playing that character ever since and that i do think is unfortunate because i think he's better than just a dumb a dumb funny guy anyway but leslie jones i was actually yeah he is he's good i love tracy morgan but um 
Leslie Jones, I was actually prepared to not enjoy her in this movie because I didn't enjoy her in Ghostbusters, the reboot, because I just felt it was a lot of improv and it wasn't funny. But I was actually surprised in this movie. I actually liked her because it was improv, but they kept it short. They didn't go too far into it. They stuck with the story. And I think that's a credit to uh, Craig Brewer. Is that his name? The director? Because uh, yeah. he honed he honed in the obvious improv at times. He didn't let it just run wild. And that, I think, is what made the movie uh, more concise and actually have a story to it. There's not a lot of story to it, but it didn't just go off in tangents and get too wild. And I think that is a detriment that, like, Paul Feig, is that his name, who directed Bridesmaids and he directed the Ghostbusters reboot, where he has a real problem where he just lets his actresses and actors just improv and then they try to make a movie around it and that sucks it only works like one every five movies that's how i feel about it so anyways my point is leslie jones actually i think she was like i don't know i thought her 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 funny little scenes were enough in this movie and i actually liked her in it what do you think about that what i was saying about improv and movies i really agree with that with ghostbusters like i feel like you articulated that in a way where like if it the same cast in the same script was there but they had a different guy direct them i think Mm -hmm. that movie could have been better that movie always feels like it's just missing everything is just just not landing just a little you have this whole movie cut out in front of you and somebody should have really said like well you get from point a to point b here and and there's a little funny in, in the middle but can we cut out five minutes of the funny in the middle because it's just kind of as redundant stupid improv comedy before they get to the point of the scene and Feig was like no that's the goal that's what people like see how silly they're being and i feel like that's in every scene it's like there's just extraneous stupid improv that if you just chopped it out, the movie would feel tighter and, and more enjoyable. But like, if you did that with Step Brothers, did you ever watch Step Brothers with Will Ferrell yeah. and John C. Wright? Like, that's what it's famous for, is that it's just an idiotic romp, and it's all improv, and somehow it works. So that's great. Like, leave that alone. And like, the 40-year-old virgin was maybe the similar, and that worked. Like, leave that alone. But then you go on and make like three or four movies in between that, and you try to recapture that magic, and it just sucks. And it's just improv annoyance. And anyway, uh, but I, I think that's a testament to the director. I think that... And another interesting part is that Eddie Murphy handpicked this director to head this movie up as well. And a lot of people were like... But he's white. Did you know that? Craig Brewer is white. And he's telling this story of coming to America, which a lot of people say is a black film. But Eddie Murphy liked this guy. He also directed the Dolomite movie on Netflix. Yeah. So he was like, no, I, I like him. I'm going to give him a shot for this movie as well. And I think that the direction pulls the movie together. So I think he did a good job. But yeah, it's a white guy telling a black story. If that gets to some people, if that turns them the wrong way, then I guess they wouldn't watch that. The movie, definitely but... turns some people the wrong way. Um, but I was like, eh, whatever. But Sadie Murphy's film, and it was his decision, so I'm not going to tell him he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, and this is totally a thing where Eddie Murphy, if he was wanting to be the old Eddie Murphy, he would have just directed it himself. Like yeah, right. This, he wanted the guy that knew what he was doing, but also was going to listen to everything every Eddie Murphy said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like exactly. it feels like it could be like a Chris McQuarrie thing with Tom Cruise, where mm-hmm. Tom Cruise has finally found a director that he's competent, but I'm sure that Tom Cruise gives a lot of notes yeah and i mean i think he found a director that like he doesn't really have to tell him anything like he gets what tom cruise wants (laughs) you know so he does it uh yeah i mean eddie murphy's telling a basically black film 
with the original coming to America and he gets John Landis, a white dude to come in and direct it. But he's John Landis was proven. He was a good comedy director. He could rein in the whole story. It didn't matter if he was white or black, at least to Eddie Murphy's mind, I'm thinking. And he kind of yeah. does the same thing with this movie. But I, in this era, it turned people off. From what I've read, a lot of people were turned off by it because they're like, what does this white guy know about the black experience, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I mean, I hear, I hear that. But at the same time, I'm not going to tell Eddie Murphy that he has to get with the times or do things just to make people happy like he's just gonna do what the fuck he wants because he's an old-time movie star <laughs> yep eddie murphy's gonna do exactly what he wants yeah. uh worth noting with this movie um the original screenwriters from the first movie yep. wrote this movie too yeah so yeah we so we get this prince in africa and we're doing the reverse fish out of water where everything mm -hmm. is cool i was worried for at least a half hour that they were going to try and exploit the na na nativity of Akeem. Naivety. Um, na na yeah. yeah, whatever. Lack of street smarts. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad that they had uh, Jermaine Fowler play just a great guy. And he, I like the scene where he teams up with the sister to take the lion whiskers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you know they're they're half brother, half sister, so they felt a connection there. She didn't. She yeah. wasn't a total. She didn't want to be a total jerk to him. And, and she also knew that... her place, I guess, which is a monarchy thing. Like she was like, well, if this is the way the king wants it to be, I guess I'll step aside to allow you to be ruler, even though I don't. Yeah, like which it. is a very rulerly thing to do. Yeah. that shows exactly. a lot of. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, they uh, they do all those things to prove that he could be a prince that he has trials yep. and the and second it really thing, all yeah sorry go ahead no no I was the just second thing is where he has end. to <laughs> where he has to put his penis into a block and be <laughs> yeah. circumcised by the so witch doctor <laughs> so right. stupid but when they hold up eddie murphy's foreskin <laughs> i couldn't help but laugh it's such an immature well, simple thing for foreskins right yeah they had all the foreskins i know eddie murphy's was, was like, like ah! three times as big <laughs> And so Eddie Murphy, they quickly cut funny. to Eddie Murphy and he like kind of turns yeah. his head and smiles. Like, that's yeah. pretty funny. That and then good. it cuts to the two women and they both look at each other and smile. It was <laughs> adorable. Oh, the other um, thing, I mean, they brought everybody back. Like there's a yeah. lot of, uh, even after all those years, uh, the girl who played Lisa, she's back. As she, so she's been, you know, as princess the whole time. And I, I guess she's queen now. I don't know if it and she looked great in a monarchy. Yeah, she looked great. And then... Uh, they even brought Louis Anderson back, who worked at McDowell's back in the 80s. He better be manager now if he moved to Zamunda when they opened a McDowell's in Zamunda, which I thought was funny. That was a nice touch as well. He better be the manager. I mean, he can't just be working that shitty job for the past 33 years or however long it's been. That'd be, that'd Eddie be really Murphy was just quoted. Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall were just quoted as saying that uh, they basically had to put him in the movie because the studio was upset that there were no white people in it. Uh, still, Really? Uh, after all this um, time? Come oh, no, on. the first movie. Oh, the first movie. Okay. In the first movie. The new uh, one. <laughs> they basically gave him a list of three people, and they were like, yeah, we, we know Louis. We'll work with Louis. And That's funny. Ugh, yeah. Jesus. But he's good. Yeah, I mean, I like Louis Anderson in the first one, and I've always liked Louis. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, he's just there as a cameo. Same with the dad. Yeah. I mean, they do give John Amos a scene in order to, like, you know, try to give some fatherly advice to Akeem later on but it's not too big of a deal i'm really mad that john stamos stole john amos's name 
Like, that's <laughs> so just, just a stupid joke that I've had in my head. <laughs> stupid joke. I never put it together to this moment. Thank you. Uh, what else happens? So, yeah. Lavelle, who is the son, he ends up uh, getting a real connection with his hairdresser, right? Yes. And I don't recall her name. But it's clearly going in that way where he's he's supposed to marry the daughter of Wesley Snipes, his next Doria ruler, his daughter, in order to join the families and make everything kosher. And though she's hot and he's all into that, he's like, I don't really feel a connection. And, and she turns out to be a similar kind of set up marriage as Akeem had in the original, which I've kind of saw that coming. Yeah. Uh so he just wants to marry the girl he likes. Uh, although I don't think they should get married. I mean, they barely know each other. So he then goes, this is where the movie got weird for me, is that he's like, forget this, I'm going back to America. And he takes her with him, the the stylist. And she's fine yep. with that? Yeah, it's just and then, that unearned and, and, love in reverse. Yeah, and his mom, Leslie Jones, who thought it was amazing that he was a prince now and he's going to be royalty, she's fine too. Like, she's she didn't try to stop him at all. She was just like, what are you talking about? We can't leave this. This place is awesome. You got to go. And he brings yeah. uh, Tracy Morgan to his uncle. He gets him in Zamunda. And they all are just okay <laughs> with going back. I don't know. Yeah. That just felt weird to me. It's really the only part of both of these movies that I think are weak is that yeah. it's just not totally believable. But if you just kind of ignore it yeah. and go with it, it, it's fine. The weakest part of, of both movies is that there's not a lot of story to wrap up that's the thing like there's a there's a clear goal in mind for both of these characters both sons in this in these movies but it's a little too simple to wrap up so they have to throw a wrench in there in order to get into the third act like say oh there's a problem how are they going to solve it but it doesn't feel earned as you say it just feels like for the sake of storytelling they have to be like well let's make him angry about this so we send him back in the second one but you're like ah okay and then the, so what happens like akeem comes to america at the end to convince yep, his where, son we've changed where they're about to get married to the pre by the preacher yeah um because that seems like a good and, idea the sexist and, racist preacher. preacher he comes to realize the mistake that he's been making which is he's been trying to do everything like his dad and nothing yeah, is akeem changing is realizing this yeah yep and so he sits down and he lets them get married but she stops it because she wants to get yeah. married in zamunda yep and so we go back and they get yeah. married it just felt very pointless <sighs> yeah um yeah. there's in there somewhere there's a conversation uh, about the you when you're young and you think you can change the world and when you're old you realize you haven't there's that it's like a reflection on your life that we're watching eddie murphy have on his yeah. life and you maybe try to have your kids pick up the slack of what you felt your failure was maybe that's a bigger message as well and you realize that they have to live their own lives and you yeah. have to step back yeah uh and also what was another big part i just i just it just occurred to me oh so in order to be forward thinking akeem realizes that my son should not be the ruler of zamunda he would be more happy being an ambassador to America. So that way him and his new wife can travel to and fro. Uh, but it sounds like they would live in New York because uh, that's where you'd be an ambassador of. So you'd be in America. And he allows his daughter, who has trained her whole life to be the new ruler of Zamunda, to actually be ruler of Zamunda upon Akeem's death someday. Yeah. And that part was really cool. Yeah. So he brings like it into the Wakanda 
future that Zumunda has always strived to be. <laughs> so they're getting there. <laughs> and that's pretty much it, isn't it? I mean, you got to see some of the people. They go back to the barbershop. He gets to play his barber role. He gets to play his old Jewish guy role again. We have some laughs. We get the Soul Glow song for a little bit. Uh, the preacher comes back. Funny stuff happens. Does the movie need to exist? That's the, I think that's like when I read uh, reviews of it. They're all that's just what everybody's on. Like, there's no reason for this movie to exist. There's no reason. It's just a point. It's just a pain in the ass, you know, to watch this movie because it doesn't. It shouldn't exist and blah blah blah. But I'm like, eh, whatever. It doesn't bother me when they bring back late late time. We've talked about a lot of late sequels in this podcast so far. So and we're talking about John Landis a lot, which is weird. Yeah, this movie passes all of our old sequel tests from when we were first starting the podcast like a movie doesn't have to have a reason to be a movie does it like i don't think so this is yeah it's a movie just enjoy it if it's entertaining and people like it then i'm all for it and it it, it, i guess for this kind of movie it doesn't insult the first one i think that's what's good it modernizes things and it made it enjoyable again it absolutely complements it oh and a big plus the women in this movie are just like drop dead gorgeous. Like it's just ridiculous the amount of gorgeous women that are in the sequel for this movie. And yep. they do a great job with all the choreography and the dance and the set design and the colors. And I mean, it really takes the first movie, mixes it with Black Panther for that Afrofuturism and really makes it shine. And this little comedy on Amazon Prime. So I thought they did a great job. That's my big plus for the movie. Yeah. Like, looks this good movie started good. slow for me. I actually had to watch it. I watched it once, and I didn't really like it that much. And so I mm-hmm. kind of started watching it again halfway through, and then I it really took over, and I liked it a gotcha. lot. Yeah. Overall, I, I would, uh, I would, uh, yeah, I would recommend this movie. Go watch it on Amazon. Our future overlords. Um, yep. Can't believe they just bought, bought MGM. MGM. Yeah. yeah. I'm very excited. How do you say no really... to these companies? I mean, we have these companies like Amazon that are worth so i mean they can buy any they can buy the moon they're like hey we're gonna buy the moon uh, does anybody got enough money to stop us no i'm gonna um, buy the moon there's a really good episode on amazon prime <laughs> did we talk we've talked about this before i think um the philip k dick short story show yeah electric dreams did I you watch, watch those I, I haven't seen that yet they're good enough where you should absolutely do it and they're just okay. you know it's not or it's episodic so you could just okay. pick an episode and watch right. but the one that's really good is the one where the evil company that you know runs everything has caused the end of the world oh. and the surviving humans battle robots that the company created and there's uh constant deliveries like the warehouse is still working because it's automated oh yeah yeah, yeah we did talk about this yeah yeah. And so the delivery just, drones constantly saying, come and drop off like shirts and shoes to nobody. Like Phil it's, Dick and Richard Matheson and what's the Bray Bradbury. Like they all just knew. They all just could see the future, the way things were going. The, what they wrote in the 1940s and 50s, they just were like, this is where our world's going to head in 100 years. They just knew it. It's insane the stuff that they thought of and how close yeah. we are to a lot of it. And how much did they buy MGM for? Like $9 billion? Yeah, it wasn't a ton. That like that just well, fell out of Bezos' pocket when he like got out of his car. Like, yeah, <laughs> his like they've bought more expensive things. Yeah. Oh my god. 
but honestly, I'm okay with our bleak future because that means hopefully that soon I will be able to watch my MGM purchased movies on Movies Anywhere. Well, there you go. Because right now they're as long one as of they like make good entertainment studios. for us to slowly slide into our hell, then that's 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 fine. Might yeah. as well join the enjoy the ride. Are you a James Bond guy? Sure. Like I'm, I never really cared about that franchise, but that's the biggest piece of that MGM buy. And yeah, I could see that MGM only owns fifty percent of the rights. The other fifty percent of the rights are controlled by a family that. Hmm. Yeah, uh, the Brakotas. have one complete creative control yep. over the movies and who gets to be James Bond. And so that's interesting. Yep. Like MGM yep. and Amazon get no say. Yeah, every time you watch a James Bond movie, my and my kids, if they happen to see it, they go like broccoli because it's Albert Broccoli, but it's Broccoli. That's how you say their name. And now I believe he died, so his daughter is the one who's in charge. Yeah, I got nothing because I've never really cared about James Bond. Sorry. I like. I mean, my dad was a huge Roger Moore james bond fan which is everybody's least favorite pretty much uh but you know he had some fun movies it was the goofy 70s 80s movies so i grew up watching the roger moore ones but then i'd gotten the sean connery ones and i like and he made like eight eight or so and like maybe like i'd like like three or four of those so those are really good the early 60 ones and uh and yeah i mean daniel craig those are fun so then i definitely would I watched the Pierce Brosnan ones, and those were just a little out there. But I liked them for what they were. I only the really remember Craig ones are really good. They brought they brought us back. That was the best Brosnan one for sure. What's my favorite? What's your favorite James Bond out of the ones you've seen? Do you know Casino Royale? Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. The first Daniel Craig. I might, I might is say the good. similar. Yeah. And I mean, I like the way they're structuring those movies, but I haven't watched any of them since. Like they, yeah, they're just so. Is it dark? Is is that the right word? Like, I don't know. I mean, they tried to lighten it up in the fourth one, but they did the Spider-Man 3 turn in the fourth. He has an evil alien suit? No, but they retconned the first. They retconned Casino Royale into fit to fit all those movies together. So the villain of the fourth movie was actually the one that was controlling everything from Casino Royale through Quantum of Solace and Skyfall, and it did not work. You know what I mean? That Spider-Man 3 turn, how they made Sandman responsible for his uncle's death. Yeah, that's what they did in the Spectra movie, in the Spectra movie. And it felt like not, it felt bad. Like the same feeling where like, no, you can't do that. Uh, They did that in uh, Scream 4 or Scream 3. Right. Why do they do that? Where there was a guy controlling the two kids for whatever reason. (laughs) Yeah. So they've been known to do this when it comes to third or fourth installments. And it's usually to the detriment of the franchise. Yeah. So the fourth one wasn't that great. So now they made this fifth one, which has probably been done for a year and a half. So maybe that'll correct it a little bit and try to get it back on the rails a little. I don't know. Did you... I've got two things. Sure. And then we should wrap it up. Uh, Yeah, we're going to get it. Did you watch MODOK yet? No, I haven't seen any of that. Isn't that on like Hulu or something? Yeah, that's pretty adorable. Like, and that's just a Marvel property that's just very clearly not in the Marvel universe, and everybody's yeah. cool with it. It's, it's fun. It, the it writing Patton is Oswalt? yeah. yeah. And I'm I growing to like I, him I've, more. I like him. I just I'm a little Patton Oswalt out. Like he's in just in everything. Is he? I just see him and hear him. All yeah. Oh yeah. I gotta take a break. And <laughs> a movie, a sequel reboot that I just watched that I absolutely loved and didn't think I would, uh, Vacation. 
yeah i saw your tweets about that i thought that was just a bunch of shit i didn't oh my god i fucking it at all you watched it yeah like but it, maybe a couple <sighs> years ago like i don't recall much of it i did not enjoy it though I'm, i just laughed so much <laughs> maybe I'll like catch it again i don't know maybe it was watching the original very closely to vacation but okay. they tried really hard to capture that same zany magic as the original and they did it like ed helms is really close to the character of chevy chase in that first movie like Mm -hmm. just the optimism and the joy and then like just the shit that the everybody else is getting into while we watch him just try to stay optimistic it's it's fun it was i loved it See, the interesting thing about the original vacation is that i always just thought of it as a classic a family comedy and i always enjoyed it and then i read an article that somebody was just like it hasn't aged well and when you look back at the original vacation chevy chase is just a bad person and he's just a dick and it destroys the feeling of the movie so i hear like you you talk about him as being optimistic and positive and like i think that's what they like they're trying to say like ramus kind of pulled that over on you but he's actually a horrible person and it's a very dark movie and it's not as good as people think it is but i don't necessarily agree with that i still think it's very funny but it made me rethink like is it just a is he just an awful person (laughs) it's absolutely it's really fun to watch because there is and i don't know if this is just my reading of the movie but he projects as this happy optimistic person but then this movie makes there's constantly a red car with a beautiful woman that he sees Mm -hmm. and i believe the woman in the red car is supposed to be his longing for a different life yes and him imagining like being not with a family just with this beautiful woman and being on vacation and he sees her constantly yeah and so on the surface that's like funny but there's that underlying darkness to it that he actually wishes his family didn't exist. Yes. <laughs> yes, this and is that's, exactly that's, right. That's dark. <laughs> Vacation touches on this um, because the, the while reaper. they're driving, Ed Helms has this woman in a red car drive by and start flirting with him just the same exact way. Yeah. But then immediately she's hit by a truck and we never see her again. <laughs> because ed helms I don't remember that but that is funny. they're trying to say is that ed helms is genuinely happy and I see, like gotcha. when he has so they're, these... they're correcting maybe that darkness yeah. I, I don't know like it was just fun yeah that's yeah. weird all right i think it's a sequel they put a lot of thought into whether or not that hit with the audiences yeah like well, i laughed out loud to disappear when... from anybody's knowledge or anybody's memory so maybe yeah it is really gone connect everybody should go watch vacation starring ed helms and christina Applegate, <laughs> who i don't usually like right. but she's very good in this movie you don't like <sighs> her? Oh, she's good yeah she's fine there's this I'm netflix just... show dead to me she's in that she's good that's a good show you should check that out it's a crazy show but yeah um that's it uh i want you to fade into the music as i read this quote from eddie murphy talking about john landis (laughs) all right let's do it let's hear it so thanks everybody for listening we had a tussling confrontation we didn't come to blows personalities didn't mesh he directed me in trading places when i was just starting out as a kid but he was still treating me like a kid five years later during coming to america and i hired him to direct the movie i was going to 
direct coming to America myself, but I knew that Landis had just done three fucked up pitchers in a row and that his career was hanging by a thread after the Twilight Zone trial. I figured the guy was nice to me when I did trading places, so I'd give him a shot. I was going to go out of my way to help this guy, and he fucked me over. Now he's got a hit picture on his resume, a movie that makes over $200 million, as opposed to him coming off a couple of fucked up movies, which is where I'd rather see him be right now. 